District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to cfact.org. Thanks for listening. Hey everyone, thanks so much for tuning to the podcast. If you're new here, welcome. I hope my interview, or rather the exclusive teaser of my forthcoming interview with Secretary Pompeo brought you here, piqued your curiosity, and if you are really intrigued by energy, conservation, and the like, that this podcast becomes a regular bookmark for you. Let me know how you think about the podcast, and you can share your thoughts if you feel inclined to do so on Apple Reviews. But today, I'm going to briefly, briefly, briefly deconstruct the recent ruling from the federal judge in California who found that California's assault weapons ban is unconstitutional. I also want to read for you all from Alaska's Fish and Wildlife Commissioner his concerns with the potential closure of certain federal lands to caribou and moose hunting. I talked a little bit about it, but I think it would be worthwhile to read his opinion here briefly about the implications from that from the Department of Interior's proposals and why that is seen as an attack on public lands access for Hunter. I hope you find the following monologue to be informative and help perhaps illuminate on these complicated but pretty digestible issues that I think people often overlook or are only presented one side of. For those curious as to why I think conservation and firearms go hand in hand, it's actually kind of established through the Pittman-Robertson Act of 1937, which stipulates that excise taxes collected on firearms purchased go back to conservation. So if you misunderstood why I try to draw that connection, it's very evident in this law. That is why I talk about firearms here, and I think it goes along the lines of the hunting heritage, shooting sports heritage. And that's why it meshes really well with public policy discussions here. But back to the California assault weapons ban being struck down by federal judge Roger T. Benitez of Southern California in San Diego, my college town, funny enough. And I had no idea about this beforehand, but he was born in Havana, Cuba. So he escaped communist Cuba as a little boy and settled here in the United States. So that context kind of was overlooked by yours truly. But he issued an opinion of a case belonging to and stemming from the Firearms Policy Coalition. They're a really interesting Second Amendment advocacy group. He handed down an opinion in the ruling Miller versus Bonta, previously Miller versus Becerra, uh, essentially, and I'm reading from their press release, determining that California's tyrannical ban on so-called, quote, assault weapons, end quote, is unconstitutional. Second Amendment. Firearms Policy Coalition filed Miller versus Becerra to challenge California's Assault Weapons Control Act on common semi-automatic firearms with certain characteristics, including those with ammunition magazines that can hold more than 10 rounds. Throughout the lawsuit, FPC argued that the state's ban prohibits arms that are constitutionally protected, no more lethal than certain other arms that are not banned and commonly possessed and used for lawful purposes in the vast majority of the United States. In the opinion issued by Judge Benitez, the court ruled that many categories of firearms California bans as so-called assault weapons are protected under the Second Amendment at, and that the Second Amendment stands as a shield from government imposition of that policy, end quote. 
It went on to order an injunction against, quote, defendant attorney general Rob Bonta and his officers, agents, servants, employees, and attorneys, and those persons in active concert or participation with him and those duly sworn state peace officers and federal law enforcement officers who gain knowledge of this injunction order or know of the existence of this injunction order, end quote, preventing them from, quote, implementing or enforcing, end quote, the following. And it lists out provisions of what they deemed as assault weapons. And FPC, Brand- FPC President Brandon Combs was quoted in this press release as saying, in his order today, and this was handed down Friday night, George Judge Benitez held what millions of Americans already know to be true. Bans on so-called assault weapons are unconstitutional and cannot stand. This historic victory for individual liberty is just the beginning, and FPC will continue to aggressively challenge these laws throughout the United States. We look forward to continuing this challenge at the Ninth Circuit, and should it be necessary, the Supreme Court, end quote. Law in California previously did was also lump in. I think the big point of contention is the fact that AR-15s, Armalite rifles, are classified under California law as what is, by the definition, an assault weapon. And if you're unfamiliar in terms of nomenclature, an assault weapon is categorized usually by a firearm that fires automatically. So when you pull a trigger once, multiple bullets come out or spray out. If you're dealing with a semi-automatic firearm, that is usually typically one pull of the trigger, one bullet. That's a huge distinction people overlook purposely, I think, to malign these certain different firearms. And AR-15s, largely for the most part, are semi-automatic in nature. They certainly, to the untrained eye, possess scary aesthetics. If you're very unfamiliar, it looks like a high-powered military-style weapon. But you talk to most people in the military today, and they'll tell you actually the AR-15 is not what they use in combat or in the field. It's a pretty commonly owned rifle for home defense, for shooting sports. In many states, if you're able to, you can use an AR-15 platform to go hunting. I used an AR-type platform like I had previously told you all in my November hunt when I harvested my first deer, white-tailed deer in Wyoming. And depending upon the state, like I said, you're allowed to hunt with those different platforms. So from a self-defense perspective, these have become rapidly popular for people's choice as a home defense rifle. There's no arguing with that. And I think a lot of people are recognizing that the scary aesthetics or scary perceived aesthetics really don't contribute to anything different from the shooting experience. In fact, actually, the firearm, if you've handled it before, it offers great precision. You can have a lot of control. You're not really dealing with a lot of recoil if you're properly handling it correctly. Moreover, this firearm, in terms of criminality, if you look at FBI statistics or any statistics on crime in this country relating to firearms use. Most of the time, firearms involved in crime are not rifles like this or the AR-15. It's very demonstrably low. If anything, it is handguns that are commonly used in crime. But that doesn't mean you need to ban firearms on any pretext like that. However, in terms of its functionality, also just kind of the growing popularity of it and the low instance of its use in crime... There is no need to scapegoat this firearm, so I think this ruling helps clarify things with respect to the fact that when judges are reasonable and are able to comb through details, they'll recognize that an AR-15 is constitutionally protected under the Second Amendment, given its semi-automatic nature, the growing popularity of it, and like I said, the low instance of it used in crimes committed here in the United States by criminals. 
And I wanted to read a little more from The Reload, Stephen Gutowski's phenomenal website. Stephen is a past guest here on the show. And he has another report on this. He really, really kind of combed through this. And I'm going to take a little bit of Stephen's reporting and read for you all what the judge had ruled um, in terms of his opinion. This is what Judge Benitez said in with respect to determining that California's assault weapons ban is unconstitutional. And the quote reads like this, quote, this case is not about extraordinary weapons lying at the outer limits of Second Amendment protection, Benitez wrote. The banned assault weapons are not bazookas, howitzers, or machine guns. Those arms are dangerous and solely useful for military purposes. Instead, the firearms deemed assault weapons are fairly ordinary, popular, modern firearms. This is an average case about average guns used in average ways for average purposes, end quote. And Stephen had wrote, that California's assault weapons ban, I didn't know this being from California, and shame on me for not knowing this, but the assault weapons ban was first instituted in California in 1989, so a few years before I was born, and it's been expanded multiple times in the decades since. The state added more guns and features to the ban. Eventually, it banned the possession of unregistered, quote, assault weapons, end quote, before the latest iteration of the ban was challenged by gun rights groups in federal court. And the judge also said in his ruling, AR-15s are very versatile, that's why they're very popular here, and that the popularity of this part of is what gives it protection under the Second Amendment. He compared the modular firearm to a Swiss army knife and noted its use for home defense and civil defense. Quote, good for both home and battle, the Air 15 is the kind of versatile gun that lies at the intersection of the kinds of firearms protected under District of Columbia versus Heller and United States versus Miller, he said. Yet the state of California makes it a crime to have an Air 15 type rifle. Therefore, this court declares that California statutes to be unconstitutional. And he offers, again, some opinion from Firearms Policy Coalition, some other Second Amendment supporters. And unsurprisingly, California Governor Gavin Newsom, a Democrat, claimed that this ruling was dangerous. He said today's decision or Friday's decision is a direct threat to public safety and the lives of innocent Californians, period, he said in a statement. As a son of a judge, I grew up with deep respect for the judicial process and the importance of a judge's ability to make impartial fact-based rulings. But the fact that this judge compared the AR-15, a weapon of war that's used on the battlefield, to a Swiss Army knife completely undermines the credibility of this decision and is a slap in the face to the millions of families who've lost loved ones to this weapon. Very fascinating stuff, right? So I wonder if it will go on to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is notoriously a very difficult court to get anything reasonable passed through. It's stacked with a lot of judicial activists and people who are not likely going to rule in favor of the Second Amendment, nor even Endangered Species Act reforms. It's very tough to get anything done, I think, with conservation related to the Ninth Circuit. But if it does not get passed in the Ninth Circuit and it's appealed to the Supreme Court, we have had some indications recently that the court may take up some more cases. So if it doesn't pass there, We'll see it perhaps explored a little bit more at the Supreme Court level, but very fascinating case. We're going to try to get the guys from FPC on the podcast. I've been messaging with them and hopefully they'll answer my request. Gun owners everywhere should rejoice over this decision, even if they don't live in California. I'm going to read this article for you all from Doug Vincent Lang, who is the commissioner of Alaska's Department of Fish and Game, about the implications of halting hunting opportunities in Portions of Alaska where federal lands are open for caribou and moose hunting. 
And this was something that the Department of Interior was exploring and put out comment for recently. And he reads, his column reads like this, the Federal Subsistence Board will soon consider an ill-advised request to close Northwest Alaska to non-federally qualified moose and caribou hunters. And like I said, this kind of stems from the Department of Interior proposal. Unsurprisingly, they're not really friendly to hunting interests. But let me examine this more. This means Alaskans from outside the region could be locked out of large swaths of hunting territory. As the governor recently said, even his wife Rose would be unable to hunt the land she grew up on. The FSB's willingness to preempt state management and act outside of its scope of authority is nothing new. Last year, a similar action affected a popular hunting area near Glen Allen. Hunters who were not federally qualified were simply banned. This meant someone who grew up and traditionally hunted around Glen Allen but had been displaced to Anchorage for health reasons could not hunt on the land they spent a lifetime hunting. Worse, the proposed closure of moose and caribou hunting access in northwest Alaska is based on a faulty premise. Supporters of this overreach claim that a small number of non-local hunters are having a significant impact on the migration of caribou and disrupting traditional hunting of these herds. This is flatly false. The hunters being targeted by this potential closure only harvest 2-3% to of caribou taken each year, and the caribou populations in this region are healthy. The Western Arctic caribou herd population is about 244,000 animals, which is above our population management goal. The amount considered necessary for subsistence is 8,000 to 12,000 animals, with harvest levels falling within this objective. In short, the population is healthy and providing for the subsistence needs of all Alaskans under state management. And this is from the Anchorage Daily News. And why this affects those of us here in the lower 48. We often talk about incrementalism, where you see incremental bans in one state, in one region, in one locality, and just the implications it can have, because it should be seen as an attack on hunting in one area could be perceived as an attack on all hunting in the future. And this also goes to this debate over public lands. We also see the debate over whether or not Washington, D.C. can come into different states in areas where they really don't have jurisdiction where states are often best left to manage public lands or certain hunting opportunities, excuse me, better than the federal agencies. And we saw a rule last administration where where there was no clear defined area for the Department of Interior to have a role in management that would be deferred to the states, kind of like by a 10th Amendment, the left open states can have a handle in it. So people in Alaska, I have no doubt, perceive this to be Washington coming into the state, telling them how to better manage their caribou and moose populations than the people who live and recreate off or near the land. So that could be what you can surmise from this. And it's very good, actually, that the commissioner is speaking out on this. I think we're going to see more news about Alaska. We see Anwar being temporarily stalled for environmental review. And I think we're going to be kind of revisiting what we saw in the Obama administration with Alaska kind of fighting Washington and people on the ground kind of contrasting what is happening in this kind of preservationist administration that we're seeing. So this Alaska story is not going to go away. And I'm going to try to bring on Tyler Friel from the Tundra Talk podcast. And he was the one who first wrote concretely about this issue. And I really want to have him come on and he's agreed to come on. I really want an Alaska perspective to come on and talk about this rather than listening to the Washington kind of preservationist voice. So we should have Tyler on hopefully very soon. I'll I'll try to work out the details for that very soon. But yeah, keep an eye on this because this isn't going away, especially if this rule 
were to proceed, if they didn't listen to everyone's feedback and they proceed with the rule, it'll be very, very, very contentious. And we'll see this further divide with Washington and different states again, kind of with lands out west. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure you're following us on your preferred podcast player. We like to recommend Apple Podcasts because Apple is where most of our listenership hails from. So if you head over to Apple, subscribe, comb through some episodes, and leave us reviews, we'd be more than appreciative of your support in that manner. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. And you can connect with me personally on my social media feeds, all of the... Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram links that I have are all denoted by blue check marks. Really easy to find me. So engage with me there. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to recommend yourself for the show as a prospective guest, I'm all ears to hear and sift through different inquiries. I get a lot of requests. Stay tuned also for episode five of my Conservation Nation video series I host with CFACT. It'll be on aquaculture about what is happening with the intersection of market reforms and cleaning up noxious invasive plants down in the Everglades ecosystem in Florida. That should be dropping either today or Wednesday of this week.